Thank you for tuning in to Hill Country Fellowship's audio podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired as you listen today. For more information, visit us online at hcfburnett.org. Amen. Thanks, Pastor Scott. Thank you very much, all the pastoral staff and all the church for having us back. It's a tremendous privilege to be here. It's an intimidating privilege to preach to all these other missionaries, and, uh, but it's an honor, and my wife and I are blessed. I want to honor my wife. We were both up here last night, but uh, this year started our 42nd year of preaching together, and uh, we ain't quitting anytime soon, so we enjoy what we do and are so thankful that God called us. I want to talk about God uh, inviting you this morning. And, uh, you know, when we've been to a lot of mission conferences over the years, and we recognize that those that put those together, they often have a burden, and I think it's from the Lord. They want to see missionaries blessed and financed and resourced. But one of the burdens I always feel uh, anytime I'm speaking in a mission conference is the burden that God has for those of his people that have not yet responded to the opportunity he's giving them. Not just to give, but to themselves partner with sharing Jesus. And uh, the view a lot of people have of uh, mission work or ministry is they see it as something that, well, you know, one of these days God's going to sneak up and surprise you and call you, and, they, and, and many of them live in dread of that moment when God calls them, you know, like, oh no, what if God calls me to go to Cameroon with, with Ernest, or what if God calls me to go to Nepal, or, or with some people it would be like, what if God calls me to do what the Russies shared this morning? I don't want to get involved with people's emotional uh, drama and baggage and unforgiveness, and so a lot of people live with this perspective, but there's another side of this whole business, and it's not just responding to the call, but it's actually the chance to volunteer. Like the idea that maybe what we do and maybe what the kingdom does is actually not something you want to avoid, but it's something so exciting that you would be looking to get involved in it, that you would not be hoping Ernest doesn't come up and invite you, but you'd be going up to Ernest and saying, when can I go to Cameroon? And so I I think that's what's on God's heart this morning is that you and I understand the, the privilege or the excitement that would have us actually want to step up and say, hey, choose me, pick me. Like Isaiah in, in the Old Testament, when the Lord said, whom, whom will go, whom shall we send? And he said, here my Lord, send me. What, what is involved in that? And what would make you want to volunteer, locally or internationally? Because not everybody's supposed to be involved internationally, physically. But what would make you want to say, hey, I, I'd like to be part of what you are doing? And first of all, we have, to, we have to get past some of the stigma of missions that a lot of us grew up with. My wife and I bo- both grew up in mission, mission-oriented churches. And what we remember from many of these missionaries is they'd come and they'd tell horror stories. Because you know the more horrible the story, the more... People might feel sorry for you and support you. So we, we heard a lot of horror stories about things that bite you and about people that persecute you and how three of their colleagues died. And, you know, then they wonder why no young people want to grow up and 
go into world missions. But we, you know, somehow in the middle of that, we heard God calling. But I have learned that missions is not just about the things that bite you and the discomforts that you have to endure, that there, there's an exciting aspect to partnering with Jesus. If, if you were here, uh, m- most of you were not here last night, but please listen to the message Pastor Scott preached about the, the story he told of this one particular man and how Jesus so radically transformed his life. And when you witness one of those moments, it, it makes you... What, it, it sort of hooks you when you really see what Jesus, you know, let me, let me put it this way. When, when I hear people say, man, well, I hope God doesn't call me into missions, I recognize immediately they have never experienced one of those moments that hooks you. It's a moment like what I experienced the first time I ever prayed with anybody to receive Jesus Christ. I was 10 years old. I was on the playground of my elementary school, and my best friend Robert was sitting with me. And and suddenly, and I recognize now it had to be the Lord, I had an urge to to tell Robert about what Jesus had done. And I asked him if he knew what Jesus had done, and he he didn't know. And I started telling him about you know, from a 10-year-old perspective, the little bit I knew that Jesus died on the cross for his sins and that if we believe in Jesus, we'll go to heaven. And, and suddenly, Robert, 10 years old, fifth grader, started weeping. And I got confused because I, I you know, I just excitedly telling him and, uh, and he started weeping and I thought something was wrong. And I said, Robert, why are you crying? And he said, because I never knew there was anybody that loved me that much, that they would die for me. And I tell you, I was hooked. I was 10 years old, and I was hooked. And life has been since then a series of moments. You know, there are times where the difficulty of of what we do can get overwhelming, but then another hooking moment comes along. I remember a few years back, we were invited to go to this very, very neglected tribe in the Amazon that nobody was investing in. And it was a very small tribe of about 1,500 people total in that language group. And there was a lot involved with getting back there and, and a lot of discomfort. And we got in there and the people were not excited about us being there. And there was an opening service and, and people were like stone and they, they just weren't into it. And you you kind of wondered, like, why did we come back here? And, and I didn't have, I hadn't secured the best equipment, and we had, like, the worst night of our lives. We were in a tent with horrible pads and horrible things going on all around us. And, and I, you know, you just had these moments where you're like, why, whose idea was it again for us to be here? But the next morning, we started uh, sharing the word, and, and uh, you know, I'm like, God, it's very difficult sometimes to preach to tribal people that have no frame of reference. And God, how do we reach these people? And this picture dropped in my mind. These people know what a machete is, and they live in the Amazon jungle, and they have to hack their way and hack trails. And suddenly, this picture of a machete dropped in my mind, and God said, speak to them about the machete of God's love that chops through the jungle of sin that's in their hearts. And I was like, that's better than anything I can come up with. So I started sharing this message, and the the Light started going on in their eyes because they know what darkness is. They know what sin is. They, they know what bondage is, what fear of, of, of demonic spirits are. And the light began to go on in their eyes, and they began to smile, and they began to get excited. And then suddenly a guy 
jumps up and his face is all painted with, with, with paints and stripes and looked very fierce and he started yelling in his language and we had two translators, one into the, out of his dialect and then one into Spanish and then one helping us in English and uh, we want to know, what is he saying? They said, he, he just stood up and he said, I want to follow Jesus and I want to get baptized and I want to be a pastor. And we, I mean, in, that, that was his conversion moment. <laughs> to this, this day, the man is a pastor of one of their language group churches. And when something like that happens, it hooks you. And you're like, yeah, that's why we do this. I want to be a part of that. I, I want to. So, so it's not just that you and I come to a mission conference where, oh, I hope God doesn't pick me to go to one of these places. No, something should be witnessed in our life where we say, hey, Pick me. And in Luke chapter 10, Jesus had, had kind of, uh, he'd done a good job of, uh, uh, of, of making it clear what it meant to, to follow him and to serve him. And you would think after this speech that he gave at the end of Luke chapter 9 that there'd be nobody interested in being his disciple. You know, someone had come up to him and said, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus responded, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, nests but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, Jesus saw right through that the fact that the guy thought, man, I, you know, I'm going to hook my wagon and this guy's going to, he, he, he's got power and he's going to make my life different. And Jesus is like, you don't really understand what you're getting into. And then the next uh, man in the story, or as Jesus is, is speaking, Jesus says to him, uh, follow me. And this man says, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. And, you know, it almost sounds like he's, he's pushing people away. Another one says, Lord, I'll follow you, but let me first go and say goodbye to those who are at my house. And Jesus said, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. And, you know, probably some of his closest disciples were like, do you really want anybody to join what we're doing here? Because it sounds like you're turning everybody off. But the very next thing that happens, and this is so interesting to me, and, I, and I, honestly, I, I've never seen this particular passage this way until this week as I was getting ready for this service. But the very next thing, it says, after these things, this is Luke chapter 10, verse 1, the Lord appointed 70 others also. And we, know, we don't think a whole lot about these 70, but I realized that he had just given, uh, uh, made a series of statements about how challenging and how all in you have to be, it is to be a disciple. And then suddenly there are these 70 that he's appointing. And I asked myself a question I haven't asked before about this text. Like, well, where did these 70 come from? Obviously, they'd been around him to some extent. And the thought popped into my head, and I had to kind of study my Bible real fast and say, is this kind of crazy? But the thought popped into my head. These people stepped forward. Jesus said, I, I, need a, I need now, I've got 12, but I need a lot of guys to go ahead of me and to represent me. And uh, you've all heard what, what is involved in this. Now, is there anybody out there willing to do this? And, and obviously, there's 70 people at least, maybe a hundred step forward, but I don't think he, he went through the crowd and went, you and you 
and, and you over there, the way we're afraid he will do in a mission conference, like, yeah, you're going to Cameroon, you're going to Nepal, yeah, you're going to have to get in shape and trek with Blake, and, and you're going there. That, no, I, I think Jesus stood in front of an audience, maybe this size, if not bigger, and said, you've, you've heard what this is all about, now, who else is willing to represent me? And obviously, there are 70, at least, that are willing and he appoints them, which means he publicly confirmed that they were authorized to represent him. So when you talk about volunteers, even here, I say, after hearing the demand, why would they be willing? And I realized these people had been tracking with him for a while. And you go back just a few days in the narrative, and they've just seen him feed 5,000 people with a few loaves and fishes. They've seen him raise a little girl from the dead. They've seen people press through the crowd and touch him. When you see the transforming power of Jesus Christ touch the life of someone you know or touch you life, your life, it makes you want to be a part of what he is doing. It makes you want to dive in and get involved. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also. And he sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Then he said to them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Carry neither money bag, knapsack, nor sandals, and give or, and greet no one along the road. Holy Spirit, in this moment, would you release a, vol a spirit of volunteerism into this house that your people would get excited to say, here am I, send me. There's a few perspectives that are essential in this volunteer crowd, and Jesus kind of lays it out for them. And the first one is there's an urgency that he wants them to be gripped by. And this word is very important for the day in which we live. The first thing he says to them is the harvest truly is great. In other words, the number of people ready to hear about me is great. No matter how many closed people you've seen, angry people you've seen, liberal people you've seen, antichrist people you've seen, the thing he said to them 2,000 years ago is the thing he is saying to the church today. The harvest is great. There is a multitude of people in this world. Let me say to you, the harvest in America is great. We have just about had it up to here with the preachers that excuse their ineffectiveness by saying, well, you know, we live in a post-Christian age. Stop cursing the age we live in and start agreeing with Jesus that the harvest is great. I mean, Jesus sends 
his people into closed Islamic countries, not so that they can simply all fail, but because he understands that in those countries the harvest is great. He understands that in Hindu nations the harvest is great. He understands in nations that are considered post-Christian that nevertheless the harvest is still great. Understand you 70 that is step forward that I am sending you out to be a part of the greatest work that God will do on the earth. Someone said it the most magnificent. Mark said it the most magnificent of his creation is you. And there's a magnificent army of people out there made in the image of God. And they're ready to hear about Jesus. There is a move of God in our nation even right now. There is a great harvest in our nation. There are souls by the millions looking for someone like the Russies that will teach them how to get free from bitterness by inter interacting them with Jesus Christ or introducing them to Jesus Christ. There are people all over this world that understand our governments have no solutions and we are, they ha we are out of options and we are ready for someone to tell us that this works and when you have had the joy of interacting with an individual or a people group and you have seen with your own eyes what Jesus can do for them you are fully bought in and you have to be part of what God is doing the harvest is great he says therefore pray you know why many people don't pray fervently in their churches because they don't believe there's a point but when you understand that your prayer gets the people, the harvest ready. And when your prayer gets people motivated to say, here am I, send me. I'm telling you, it's exciting to pray because you know going in, I mean, when we pray before we go, whether it's to another country or whether it's to a Sunday service like this one, we don't ever pray. My wife and I, oh God, please show up. Please. Uh, you know, I had a preacher every Sunday, a friend of mine, every Sunday he would pray, oh God, uh, you know, please show up this Sunday. I told him, stop doing that. The Holy Spirit is in you. God is always ready to reveal himself. When you show up, God shows up. Stop being mealy-mouthed in your expectation. We never pray a mealy-mouthed, low-expectation prayer. We say, thank you, Lord, for the privilege, as someone said it in their spotlight, for the privilege of having a front-row seat to watch what the Holy Spirit is about to do in someone's life. This is why I love to come together with the body of Christ because we're not here to just go through the motions but somebody is going to be touched by God every time we get together the harvest is great you need urgency and he says you need bravery you need bravery because I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves and again so many people are preoccupied with persecution. 
preoccupied. You know, people, we found this, people in developing nations, they just, persecution is just normal to them. They're not preoccupied with the persecution they're facing. They just deal with it. They're preoccupied with the people they're reaching. They're preoccupied with the power of the gospel. But here, because we've had it good for so long by the grace and mercy of God, suddenly there's a little bit of opposition. And all people want to talk about is time persecution, time persecution's here. Jesus says, this ain't nothing new. This is this how it is. They ain't going to love you when you're preaching that they need to turn from their sin and yield to the lordship of their creator. Not everybody's going to love that. There's a huge harvest waiting to hear that, but some people are going to be wolves. And you're going to go and you're going to face it. And I'm going to be honest with you. That's what Jesus is telling them. You need to understand. And you need to understand that you're lambs. You're not wolves going after wolves. You're sweet. You're gentle. You're humble. You can wash their feet. You're going to be kind. You're going to turn the other cheek. But make no mistake about it. They're wolves. And it's a serious business. And I think one of the most disastrous phrases that has been taken from our current culture and incorporated into the church world is that, you know, the pledge, we, we are really committed to keeping you safe. Man, if we're committed to keeping everybody safe, we might as well close the church. Because this is, this is the kingdom of God is not about keeping people safe. It's about getting people saved. It's about getting people introduced to the person of Jesus Christ. But we've got a preoccupation in our Western culture because we've been safe for so long and we've been comfortable for so long and none of that is bad. That's been the grace and mercy of God. But now it's actually become the goal and the agenda to stay safe. And in this business, we need people who will step forward and say, my first and primary concern is not my personal safety. My first and primary concern is to reach people with the transforming power of Jesus Christ. Imagine Jesus as the 70 are going out before him to every city and town as he's sending them out. You imagine, you know, he's not standing there on the porch with a white handkerchief saying, stay safe, I'll be praying for you. Now, the wolf is not the end of the story. I'll get to that in a moment. But he wants them to know that you need to be brave to be part of this process. You need to be brave. Church, Jesus demands that we are brave in this hour. Brave doesn't mean I never face fear, but brave means that you go forward even when your heart's pounding, that you open your mouth even though you don't know what you're going to say, that you step up and volunteer even though half of your brain is saying, you fool, you're going to live to regret this for the rest of your life. But something inside your spirit says, no, I have to be part of that. I have to get involved with that. I've got to let bravery push me past my intimidation or my inferiority, and I've got to make myself available to what God's doing in the world right now. And I'm telling all of us, don't miss what the Lord is doing in the world right now because this is the greatest season of harvest in world history. We need urgency that there's massive results waiting to hear about his love, massive numbers. We need bravery. We need simplicity. I think there's no coincidence that these are tied together. I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. Don't carry money, bag, knapsack, or sandals. Obviously, 
these are all resources that it's okay to use. But what is he saying to them? He's saying, for this to work, you need to have simplicity in your life. I'm sending you out onto the battlefield, and all your trust must be in me. I wish I could spend a whole session on that subject. But, friends, just let the Holy Spirit speak to you about it however he will. We have got to purify our trust in God. We have got to renew our trust in God. We trust in the arm of our own strength so often. We trust in what we've achieved. We're taught that in our culture. We're taught that God exists for those emergencies that we can't handle ourselves. That's how we grow up in our churches. You bother God when you're really in over your head. But God's like, no, it is a father-child relationship all the days of your life. I, for you to really enter into an experience the reality of my kingdom you've got to have childlike trust in me you've got to trust him to keep you as alive as long as you're supposed to be alive you've got to trust him that's relevant to what we have all been through the last two years we've got to trust him that he is able to keep us alive as long as we're supposed to be alive now there's no such thing as, well, no one, you know, someone can just live forever. No, it's appointed unto every man wants to die. But can we trust him to keep us until that appointed time? And can we trust him if that appointed time is sooner than we would have picked? There's been a breakdown of trust in the church world. And if we don't trust completely, we will not volunteer. We will not get involved. We just won't do it. But Jesus says, this is stage one, guys. I don't want you to lean on anything but me because I'm sending you out to do the greatest work that the world will ever know into the most hostile atmosphere that the world can generate against you. But I don't want you going tied up in knots I don't want you paranoid. I want you to put all your trust in me. There's a simplicity that has to come back to their faith. I believe with all my heart. I believe this is the, the heart of God, the word of the Lord, whatever you want to call it. I believe that one of the primary works God has been doing over the last two years in the Western church is restoring us to the simplicity of our relationship with Jesus Christ where he is everything. He is all. We're willing to go because he's faithful. He's good. He's trustworthy. He's trustworthy. He says a very funny thing to them. He says, don't greet anybody on the road. Don't greet anybody on the road. That sounds kind of rude. Like, you know, the, if they don't know better, then when they first hear that, you, you get a picture of the guy's on his way to so-and-so town, and his friend comes along and says, hey, you know, hey, Joe, how's it going? It's like, talk to the hand. Sorry, I'm on a mission for God. I can't, uh, you know, he said, I can't talk to me. No, what he's saying is, don't let anything break your focus. Don't let anything get you off your mission. And church, 
Wow, we have to watch ourselves individually because there's a whole lot of things that have come down the road and tried to get you into conversations solely to get you off of your mission. I mean, just think of what percentage of the church of Jesus Christ in our nation alone has become totally consumed with conspiracy theory in the last two years. I mean endlessly, and some of it maybe isn't even theory. Some of it may even be fact, but you know what? Conspiracy identification is not our primary mission. Gospel preaching about Jesus is our primary mission. And so you're going down the road volunteering for the work of God, and somebody comes up to you and says, hey, have you heard about this? Have you heard about that? And that's when you got to, in your soul, say, talk to the hand. <laughs> because I got to stay focused for God. I have a very good friend, good friend for 40 years, one of my best friends. Uh, rang my phone on Friday. We were out with somebody here in Marble Falls, and uh, I, I didn't pick up the phone, but there was a message. And the message uh, said, I listened to the message, said, and this is a person I would always call back. The message says, hey, call me. Uh, I want to hear what you think the Lord is saying about the Ukraine and Russia. And as soon as I heard that, it's just like the Lord said, it's like this verse here, the Lord says, just keep on moving down the road. You got to think about Sunday morning. Don't get sucked into a rabbit hole of trying to prophetically analyze what's happening between Russia and Ukraine. Not that it's irrelevant, not that it's not important, but you got to focus on Sunday morning at Hill Country Fellowship. I mean, if there, if nothing else, that's good news that God thinks more highly of you in this particular moment than of what's going on in Russia and Ukraine. I mean, he, it's important to God that we stay focused on what's in front of us. I found myself on the plane flying here to Austin, my wife and I. I found my, my mind doing stupid gymnastics, thinking, okay, now next February, I wonder if we're going to be able to be available because we kind of feel like we're supposed to be in the Middle East next winter, and does that mean we won't be uh, able to, to go to Texas? And, and like the Holy Spirit had to interrupt me and say, uh, just think about Texas right now. Just get through Texas before you're, you're in the Middle East. You know, those of us who are, you know, some of you can relate. You're highly whatever. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if it's good or not, but you're that. And, and you know, the devil knows that. And he'll always bring somebody down the road to greet you and to pull you off task. But the season we are in requires intense focus. I mean, there's, there's many things that we've had to deal with in relation to COVID, not to mention the fact that it's been a serious issue for a lot of people's lives. But one of the biggest issues for the body of Christ is, will this become our main issue? Will this become our main issue, or will we stay on task with the gospel of Jesus Christ? It's not a non-issue, but it's not the main issue. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the main issue. Jesus says, don't greet anybody on the road, because I'm sending you to do something so critical, greater than what you can imagine. And he highlights it in the next couple of verses, and it has to do with the authority of God that is resident within their spirit. He says this to them, and I invite the worship team to come. He says this. He talks to them about how to conduct themselves when they go into the towns. And then he says this uh, in verse 9. He says, and heal the sick there. 
and heal the sick there. That's not something they expected. Heal the sick there. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought we were just like supposed to go and say, oh, there's a guy named Jesus coming and you need to listen to what he has to say. say no, I want you to heal the sick there and then say this to them. And this is, this is the clincher. This is what we have to understand as volunteers or those that present ourselves and say, Lord, you know, I'd like to be part of what you're doing. Jesus says, this is the clincher. You're, you know, because when people get healed, you got their attention. This is what you're to say to them. The kingdom of God has come near to you. The kingdom of God has come near to you. Now, there's many things we can say about what the kingdom of God is, but understand it this way. It, it's the governing authority and power of God. The Jewish people understand what that is. The governing authority and power of God that supersedes all other governing authority on this earth. He says, tell them, when they experience my power, tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. I'm sending you publicly confirming that you are authorized to represent my governing authority and power. They themselves, these volunteers, they themselves did not understand the full implications of that until they actually got out into these cities and began preaching the kingdom of God and praying for the sick, and suddenly, to their astonishment, every other form of power fled before them. They were ramped up. They came back to Jesus and they said, wow, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus said, so important for our day, Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. It's like, guys, you, you, I understand that you don't get it, but not you. This is Jesus communicating his heart. It's understandable that you 70 don't get it, but you have to understand that old devil was defeated long before you were born. I saw him myself in the blink of an eye cast out of the presence of God. His power is under mine. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. That has not changed. We are not living in an age where suddenly now the church is on the defense. The church has been on the offense for the last 2,000 years. The church has been in the driver's seat in Jesus' name for the last 2,000 years. Persecuted, yes. Harassed, yes. Struggling sometimes, yes. Like Paul says, you know, just sometimes not knowing which way is up, but yet not conquered, but yet not quitting, but yet not demoralized. Why? Because Jesus is the name above all names. He says to them, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. He says, nevertheless, 
as cool as that is, don't rejoice that you can get the devil running. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's the security that empowers us to say, here am I, send me. Here am I, Jesus, what's my part in the Great Commission? Send me, use me. I want to close with just this thought for somebody in this room. The kingdom of God has come near you. The kingdom of God is near you to someone who's been a believer for 50 years. Hear God saying to you this morning, do you realize that the kingdom of God has come near you? You realize you're born again. You realize you're going to heaven. You realize that you're blessed to know God. But do you realize that the kingdom of God has come near you? Let me one-up that one. Do you realize the kingdom of God is within you? Do you understand the governing authority and power of God is now within you by the person of the Holy Spirit? Why do we hold back from running to these opportunities? Because the kingdom's so often out here. But Jesus said, no, it's near. It's near. Let's pray. Someone this morning, maybe you're visiting this church for the first time. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. The kingdom of God has come near to you today. Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. <laughs> All the power and freedom and joy that you could ever need is found in Him. Freedom over those habits that you can't break. The kingdom of God is near you. You simply say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I can't handle it, Lord. I give it to you. The kingdom of God is now not just near. Now it's inside. Church, the kingdom of God is near and the kingdom of God is within. He's coming soon. And he sends us two by two or ten by ten before his face to declare that he wins, that he is eternal life. Let's stand and worship him and give him glory. Thank you for listening. For more sermons and full service replays, visit us online at hcfburnit.org. God bless and have a great week.